So we are continuing on in our series uh, titled Be in the Hold, uh, where we are speaking to the reality that uh, what we choose to focus on, what, what we behold, uh, it impacts our lives. Uh, whatever we give our time and our energy to, whatever we give our resources to, is going to naturally impact who we are. It's going to impact our identity and the way that we choose to live our lives. And today we're going to talk about a topic that I believe is near and dear to, to two different groups of people. Um, I believe the topic we're going to talk about today uh, is near and dear to the hearts of people who, who faithfully follow Jesus. But it's also a topic that is near and dear to the hearts of people who have been hurt by the church and hurt by people who claim to follow Jesus. And that topic is how to love like Jesus does. How to love like Jesus does. Now, how to love like Jesus, that may sound like a lofty feat, right? That may be, sound like something that we will never achieve in this lifetime, but I think that's just an excuse. Um, I really don't believe that's the case, that we can never love people like Jesus does. Now, we may never be perfect like Jesus is, but we have everything we need to love people like he does. Because there's really just one thing that we need to do to love others like Jesus does. And if, this, if we do this one thing, if we're very serious about it, if we make it a discipline of our lives, this one thing has the supernatural power to disarm all of our opinions, our preferences, and even the differences that we have allowed to determine whether somebody is worth our love or not. It's just one thing, and it sounds so simple. But one thing I know about people like you and I is that we often overcomplicate the things that God made so simple. Uh, we, it's a great talent of ours. Uh, in his song, uh, Praise the Lord, David Crowder writes these words, and they're so true. I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to laugh when we can see how hard we try to make it and how easy it should be. I, I stand before you as somebody who has been uh, guilty at times of overcomplicating things down here that God made so easy. Um, I've overcomplicated at times, uh, loving people the way I know God wants me to love people. And I've tried to figure out, you know, are they worthy to love? Or have they done this? And, and I've overcomplicated the simple things, maybe just like you have. But there's this one thing that if I focus on, if I allow to be true in my life, can change all that. And this one thing uh, can help you to love people like Jesus does, despite all your differences of opinions and, and the dividing lines that maybe even the world has built between you. And if you just do this one thing, if I just do this one thing, it's, it's going to put us in a great position to love people like Jesus does. And here it is. It's real simple. Uh, the only way we'll love like Jesus is to choose to make Jesus our primary focus. It sounds so simple in practice, right? The only way that we are going to actually love like Jesus if we are constantly learning how Jesus loved people, if we make his life our primary focus and nothing else. And the problem, though, is when we try to make other things our main focus and we give Jesus just a little bit of our attention, uh, we start to focus more on ourselves and what we don't have in common with people. We begin to think that our opinion about earthly matters and random topics in life are actually more important than loving people the way that Jesus asks us to love people. That's what happens when we give Jesus just a little bit of time. When Jesus isn't our primary focus, we start to get distracted from what we're actually here for. And I believe this is one reason of many, but one reason why so many individuals get hurt by people following Jesus, because those people following Jesus don't always have their attention solely on him. And so we start to love ourselves more than we love Jesus. And when that starts to happen in our lives, we start to look for the differences in people that we are called to love. We start loving the people who are just like us. But when we behold Jesus, 
when he is the thing above everything else in our lives, our view of other people starts to supernaturally change. When we behold Jesus, we don't focus on what we have in common people, what we don't, but when we just focus on Jesus, what happens supernaturally is that your view of other people and whether you think they deserve your love or not starts to change. Now, I can, I can guarantee you, I can all but guarantee you that, that there are many people that, that, that you know in your life, uh, you, you've ran into them before, I think at times we all become this person that claims to be following Jesus, but you look at their life and you think, they, they, they say they, they're following Jesus, but my goodness, they just don't love people very well. And people who say they love Jesus, but don't love people very well, what that means is that they don't have Jesus in the proper regard in their life. They are not beholding Jesus. For all of us, I think at times we're tempted to allow our relationship with Jesus to just be about, uh, maybe it's a Sunday social hour. I know of pastors who don't love people very well because all Jesus is to them is a way to get a paycheck. Uh, We all know people who claim a faith in Jesus. They don't love people very well because Jesus is just their get out of hell free card. The topic of a live stream. Something maybe they just gather together around out of habit. But those who genuinely behold Jesus, they will watch as their view of others, no matter what those people think, believe, or act, will start to change. Now, before we dive into to our main text of the day, I want to say something to those of you who, who may be watching or, or gathered here listening, and, and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus. Uh, maybe the, the hypocrisy and lack of love from some of his followers have kept you away, but I hope today, just this once, that, that, that if you will, forget about all the ways that imperfect people have failed to love you the way that Jesus desires that you're loved, and take a look for, for how he actually calls us to act and to love. Look past the imperfect people that have hurt you possibly, that have set you back, that have stopped you from going all in at Jesus, and just give Jesus a chance today to see how he actually asks people like us to love you. So love was something that Jesus actually talked about a lot. Um, On on one such occasion in the book of Luke, we see that Jesus gets approached uh, by by someone that, that Luke calls a religious expert. And what we know if you just do some word studies is that this guy wasn't just a religious expert. He was actually a lawyer who considered himself to be an expert in the religious laws of the day. So he's more like a lawyer than just a religious expert. This man approaches Jesus, and this man isn't approaching Jesus with authenticity. He's not wanting to get to know Jesus, so that way he can, you know, be one of his followers. No, this, this lawyer is approaching Jesus to try and trip him up. He thinks he's a master of the religious law, so he thinks that he can ask Jesus a series of questions, get Jesus to then answer uh, wrongly, and then they can say, ha, ha. We got him. And so this religious leader, he approaches Jesus and says, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He goes up to Jesus. Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And this is in a time where there are just gobs of procedures and rules that you had to follow to be in a good standing relationship with God. And this man comes up to Jesus and, and he says, I want to know how I can spend eternity with God. How can I get to heaven? And Jesus replied to the lawyer, and this is perfect, he says, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And we could attach it. How do you read the law, lawyer? Right? In his cleverness, Jesus turned the question back over to this so-called expert in the law. And he says, what does the law of Moses say? And that may sound unfamiliar to us, but, but we don't have to follow the law of Moses. But the Jews during this day and age, there are 613 different laws that they as imperfect people had to follow to be in a perfect standing with God. And so the, the, the lawyer wants to know, Jesus, of these 613, which one gets me in heaven? 
And he knows he's trying to trip Jesus up. And so Jesus turns around and asks the guy, well, how do you read it? What do you think is the most important of those laws? What do you think you need to do in order to, to have eternity in heaven? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your hearts, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Um, if I was looking for, a, if Jesus asked me any question, I would just be like, love God and love people. That's, that's the Sunday school answer, right? Just love God and love people. And, and Jesus is like, that's good. He says, right. Do this and you will live. Jesus tells this lawyer, if you build your life on loving those two directions, then you will live. If you build your life on loving God and loving people, you will have eternity in that paradise that you desire. But then this man does what we so often do. He wants to know, Jesus, what is the bare minimum required of me to get the maximum reward out of God? Like, what is the bare minimum that I have to do so I can just not worry the rest of my life so I know I get the maximum reward, I get heaven? Jesus says, lawyer, you just go out and and love God and love people. Just love, love, love and be my follower. And I promise you, everything's going to work out for you in the end. Luke tells us that the man wanted to justify his actions. And there are many other translations that say the man was looking for a loophole. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right, love God. I know who God is and love your neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? This man wants to know what, who do I have to love in this world to get what I want? But when we behold Jesus, when when he is our main focus, we realize that this life of ours, this is not about who do we have to love to be able to get what we want. We get to love others so they get to have a relationship with God. And we can't in our lives justify who do we have to love while we're claiming to follow a guy in Jesus who came to die and to raise again to love everybody. And so Jesus knows this, this lawyer, like he's just looking for this loophole. He just wants to know for crying out loud, who do I have to love to get to heaven? Then I can go on with my life. And I think sometimes we wonder that too. So Jesus dives into this story. The story that Jesus dives into is to get this man. And I think to still today uh, here in 2021 to, to, to get you and I to see how Jesus calls his followers to actually love the people of the world. The story is called the parable of the good Samaritan. And Jesus begins this story by saying, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, in this day and age, this wasn't a story, as Jesus started it, that would have been far-fetched. Everything Jesus has said to his audience, this wouldn't have been hard to imagine. Um, In fact, it's it's very real and relevant to Jesus' audience. It's as real and relevant if I told you, imagine with me here. That you're late for an important meeting and you're stuck on 695, right? All of you guys are like, it's the Lord's day. Why are you even bringing this up? Like, I just relax and I'm tense. I don't even know why, Um, right? Because we know what that is like. If I start a story and say, imagine you're you're on 695 and everything's backwards. There's semis flying in the right lane and you got someone just barely making it by in the left lane. You're like, stop, this hurts, right? Because we we, we know that, we've experienced that road. And so when Jesus like tells his audience, when he tells the lawyer uh, about imagine that there's a man and and he's on his way between the the, the temple and Jericho and he gets beaten and, and robbed and tossed to the side of the road, the audience would have been like, we, 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 we get that because that's our real life. That happens to people right here and right now. 
Jesus is referencing a very real road that did go between the temple and Jericho. And and this road was rocky and windy. And and many times, bandits, criminals, they knew people making the journey to temple was because they were going to give their offering. So you basically know people are walking with plenty of valuables. So why not jump them? Why not take them? Why not leave them half dead so they could never identify you? This is a very real scenario that Jesus is explaining uh, to this, this lawyer. And he continues on. Jesus says, by chance... A priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So at the beginning of the story, we know if anyone should be helping the poor Jewish man, you think it would be one of these two. If you're putting your money on it, you think it'd be one of these two. You got the priest and the temple volunteer. You basically got the, the, the pastor and the fellow who serves at the church, they would be the ones to help this man in need. They'd be the ones to, to, to love it no matter what cost. That's just not the case. Let's talk about the priest. This priest literally saw one of his fellow believers. He saw a temple attender. For lack of better terms, he did. He saw that churchgoer. And he crosses the road to avoid helping the beat up man in need. The priest, the person maybe you'd expect to help the most, is the one who just cannot show love to this person in need. Now, if you want to know what that would look like in your life, right? imagine that you rode your bicycle here. You're like, you know, it's going to be a 94-degree day with pollen you can see and cicadas everywhere. What a, what a refreshing ride that would be. Um, so like, imagine you rode your bike to, to church here today. Uh, and you go to leave, and, and worship's been amazing, and you're overjoyed, and you, you go a little too fast, and, and you wreck your bike over there right in the ditch on Stony Batter, right? You're just laying there. Somebody please help me, right? And, and no one's helping you. Then all of a sudden, you see, getting to his red Volkswagen, Dennis Kozlowski, our care pastor who's the most Christ-like person you've ever met, right? So imagine that he drives by real slow and sees you, and you reach up, and you say something like, oh, Pastor Dennis. Care, pastor, in your job description. Care, help, help, right? You, you mumble that, and you know him. You've locked eyes. He knows you. You need help. Dennis wants his Diet Coke up here at the corner gas station, right? So Dennis just moves on by and just like, I'm off the clock, right? And goes up and gets it. It's absurd to think that way. It'd be outrageous. But this is what Jesus is saying has essentially happened. Now, not all the religious leaders in Jesus' day and age were bad. Sometimes we probably don't give enough credit. We're going to be worshiping God in heaven with some of them who are just like, would you not give me a chance? And not all of them were bad, but a lot of them were because they loved following rules more than they loved loving people. And in fact, during this day and age, the priest was considered holy. And as such, he actually wouldn't be able to help somebody who's beaten. He wouldn't be able to help somebody that was bloodied without ruining his status and his holiness. So based on his actions, he avoids them, and I think we know what he's most concerned over. It's himself. It's not loving people. But I think what Jesus is already trying to point out to the lawyer and and to us is that you're never holy enough. I don't care how set apart you think you are. You're never holy enough to not reach down and help, and you're never important enough to not reach out and love. If you think you are, you are not following Jesus. You are following yourself. Because you are never important enough to not reach out and love. You're never holy enough. I don't care how many verses you've memorized, you know, how many Christian t-shirts you have. You're never holy enough to not reach out and help those people who need love. Now, nobody really knows why Jesus used the temple assistant. 
Um, he's basically using two people who consider themselves closer to God. He's, he's using a volunteer in his story. He could have used anybody, but he uses a priest and a temple assistant. But I like to think that Jesus knew how we sometimes think. I like to think that Jesus used the temple assistant in this story because he knows how we view ourselves as just a whatever. And we encounter people who have problems. We encounter people who need help in our love. But we don't help them because we assume it's somebody else's responsibility with a higher status than what we carry. I'm sure this volunteer assumed it was somebody else's fault. Maybe he even saw the priest walk by and thought, well, if it's not his problem, then it's not my problem. This isn't a God problem. So we don't know why, but, but I think that a lot of times we buy into that same thing maybe the temple assistant did, which is surely it's somebody else's responsibility. But if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, it's always your responsibility to love the people in front of you. It's always, first and foremost, your responsibility to love the people in front of you. Yeah, you may not be able to do everything for them, but you can do something for them. It may take some collaboration, but you need to be on that team. It's always your responsibility to love the person in front of you. Because God places those people in your path for your love, your compassion, your action to be the answer to their prayers. Jesus charges us with loving those on our path, no matter who they are, what condition they're in, or what they need period. So the priest walks by the Jewish man. He's not going to help him because he cares more about his status. The, the volunteer at the temple, he walked by and we can say he probably assumed he was just a volunteer. It's somebody else's problem. Or maybe he learned erroneously from the priest that you don't help people in need. It's all about rules, not love. I don't know. But, but Jesus continues on. And he says, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the beat-up Jewish man in the ditch, he felt compassion for him. Now, let's talk about the the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. Um, There's a whole lot of history we could talk about, but if you want to best understand that relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, um, you can probably imagine that the hatred between the Serbs and the Muslims in the Middle East, the hostility between the the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland. Um, You can even think about feuding gangs in Los Angeles and and New York. And when you kind of think about those things or or any group of people who just hate one another because of of, of religion or politics, you get an idea of what it was like for for Jews and Samaritans. Uh, They couldn't stand each other. Jews, which was the man in the ditch, hated Samaritans so much that they would go out of their way to avoid their town. Jews called Samaritans dogs. It was nasty, that, that, that interaction that was vile, and generations for hundreds and hundreds of years were ingrained as a small child to hate the other person on the other side. So, so when Jesus says that a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the Jewish man in the ditch, he felt compassion for him. When Jesus shares that story, it would have been historically unbelievable. It made no sense. A despised Samaritan choosing to feel love and compassion for a Jew, the closest thing I could think of is if we invited, if we let Yankee fans worship in here. Like if that were to be a case, I'd be like, we got to look in the mirror. Um, you know, it's like a, a Ravens fan, you know, embracing a, a Steelers fan. Like it doesn't make any sense. Who are we, right? So it made no sense that a Samaritan, the one who's felt the brunt historically of that relationship, to look at someone from a group of people who have been hurting him, destroying his family, a bad reputation for hundreds of years, but yet that Samaritan felt compassion for that Jew in need, that Jew that needs some love. Right? But there's a big difference between feeling compassion and acting compassionately. 
I felt convicted this week because if you looked at all the times I feel compassion, and if I just said, oh, I feel compassion, that's good. But if you looked at how wide of a gap there is to the times I actually act compassionately, I'm not happy with myself. I'm not proud of that. And I eventually say a lot of us are like that. We, we, we feel compassion more than we tend to act compassionately. And there's a big difference between seeing someone in need, seeing someone in love, and knowing you should do something, and taking the time and the energy and the resources to do something. But we don't serve a God who, who settles for our feeling. We serve a God who, who empowers us for our doing. And the type of love that Jesus requires, it is about that doing. It is about the type of love where the world scratches its head because the love Jesus asks us to show the world, it, it, it crosses over differences. It crosses over opinions. It crosses over man-made boundaries. It's the type of love that Jesus desires for us to show, it, it's not just this feeling. It also has to span to, to doing. It's the type of love that when we choose to show the world what it's all about, that's maybe one of the only times they'll understand who we really follow. So the story goes on. Uh, the Samaritan going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. I've probably preached in this um, sermon a lot over the past 15 years or so, and I've read it more times than that. And um, it was the first time that, that I read that part, and I thought, the type of love that Jesus is asking us to show the world is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. It, it may cost us our resources. It may cost us our time. It may cost us, if you're, if you're really loving people the way Jesus wants you to love, it's going to cost you your reputation, whether in your family, your political group, your church, it doesn't matter. It's going to cost you your reputation. When you look at how Jesus lived his life, the type of love he displayed, it cost him his reputation. It put him on a cross. It's going to cost us our comfort. It's going to cost us our comfort. Loving people the way that Jesus desires for us to love is going to cost us something. But that is the type of love that we are to show to everyone, everywhere, no matter what, period. And so after this story that Jesus asked the, the skeptical Jewish lawyer, who I'm, I'm surprised he's still hanging around. Um, now, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And I love this because Jesus knows it's coming. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. If you really want to know how deep the hate runs between Samaritans and Jews, look at the fact that, that this Jewish lawyer could not say the Samaritan was the one that loved like you desire, Jesus. He simply says, the one who showed him mercy. He cannot even fathom to say it was a despised Samaritan, Jesus, who really loves like you desire. Yet sometimes the people who, who love the best, the people who love like Jesus are the people we least expect to. And we need to be open to that. So then Jesus said to the lawyer, yes, now go and do the same. Yes, now go and do the same. Yes, go and love God. Yes, go and love people just like you said you wanted to so you can get into heaven. Now Luke immediately shifts the story away from the lawyer and, and we have no idea if that lawyer went out and showed the type of love that Jesus desires for us to show the world or not. We don't know, but maybe I'm being pessimistic I think I'm probably being honest when, when I say, I don't think he did. Um, I hope I get to heaven and, and I feel a tap on my shoulder. He's like, 
hey, comeback story, it's me, bud. Um, I'll be like, it's great. It's so great that you're here. Um, but I, I don't think he did because, being honest, reaching across boundaries like that, looking past years of differences, looking past racial and national division, overcoming opinions and preferences that you've long held, that's a lot to overcome. Probably too much to overcome for people who just want to do enough to get into heaven. And to be honest, I don't think we have it in us on our own to overcome all of the racial and national division, overcome our opinions and our preferences that maybe we formed on our own or maybe was ingrained in us as a child. I don't think we can overcome all of that unless Jesus Christ is our main focus. Because when we behold Jesus, when when he is our main focus, when we give him our heart and our attention, I promise you, your view of other people will start to supernaturally change. But it's something you can't test run. You don't get a free trial. Once you actually commit to keeping him as your main focus, how you choose to love other people will change. When we have our eyes focused on Jesus, we'll see the people around us in a new way. And we'll we'll be willing to pause our own agenda to say, no, 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 meeting these people's needs is most important. When our primary focus is on Jesus, something incredible happens. We actually allow other people to be human. And we give them grace for when they're imperfect, when they're sinners. When we behold Jesus, it becomes easier supernaturally to extend patience to other people because we identify with their humanity. We understand their need for Jesus. There's grace for us from Jesus. There has to be grace from us to them when they screw up. When we continually focus on Jesus, who is perfect, it becomes natural for us to extend grace to people who sin differently than us. Now, I want to close this teaching and and leave you with this. And I hope this is something you'll never forget. That your love is the best legacy you will ever leave. The world will tell you there's 10 other things. Love may not even make the list. But your love is the best legacy you'll ever leave. It's not your money. I don't care how much of it you have. It's not your land. I don't care how many acres. It's not your business. I don't care how successful it is. It's not your possessions. They'll be outdated soon. It's not your reputation, because a reputation is just what people think of us, not what they know of us. It's nothing else. Your love is the best legacy you'll ever, ever leave. Those other things, they can be valuable to a certain extent in their own regard, but they will never hold as much importance as your love. So who are the people that you tend to overlook? Whether it's from your busyness, your reputation, your lack of consideration, the stigma they have attached to them, how it may impact what people think of you. Who are the people you overlook because you think, my goodness, there's just, it's a high cost to meet their needs. Who are the people that that you overlook due to your own selfishness? Because we are living in a world where it's becoming increasingly popular to find things to divide us. And the only way we're going to tear down those walls that the world is creating is with our love. That's only going to happen if we keep our eyes on Jesus. There's a lot that this world needs. I will draw my line in the sand and put my stake in the ground. That what this world needs more of is people just like us to have our eyes so focused on Jesus that we cannot help but to run and love the world like they desperately need it. Let's pray.
God, uh, I'm thankful for grace. Me personally, I think I speak for a lot of us watching online or in this room that we've not always gotten loving people well right. I went through as we wrote this message, just kind of through the Rolodex of my mind, and I saw faces and names, people I, I should have loved better, but I allowed my own sinfulness, my own selfishness, reputation, I let so much get in the way. And I'm sure others feel the same. And God, we need to be so focused on your son and his love for us that we become overwhelmed with love. We cannot help but to overflow with it and extend it because we know we were not worthy. So who are we to slow down to consider if other people are worthy? God, I'm thankful for scripture. How a story... 2,000 years ago has the power to speak to our story right here, right now. God, may we not live in guilt or shame because of the ways we've messed up. That's not going to move us anywhere closer to the life you've desired for us to live. May we just come to you, be overwhelmed in which the ways you love us, and know that you will point us to the direction of people you've put in our path who need our love. And God, when we love people, when we absolutely head over heels, love people because you sent your son Jesus to die for them, may we not take credit for it. May it not be just for a tax write-off, a pat on the back, to put a cloud over someone's heads. They always look at us as the ones who bailed them out. May we just give you the credit. When people ask why we love so well, how powerful it is to just say, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.